Welcome to the College Guidance Now podcast from College Guidance Network. I'm Melina Printakis. Over the course of this series, you'll hear from expert voices all across the college admissions space. Admissions officers, school counselors, financial aid experts, and more. In this episode, we're talking about pressure, rankings, fit, and family dynamics. As you'll soon hear one of our panelists tell parents, you're sending your whole child to college, not just the brain. In other words, preparing your child is about more than getting their grades up and their applications in on time. Your host is Rob Lippincott, and he's joined by Denise Pope and Candace Mackey. Dr. Denise Pope is a senior lecturer at the Stanford University Graduate School of Education, where she specializes in student engagement, curriculum studies, qualitative research methods, and service learning. She's also co-founder of Challenge Success, which works to provide schools and families the tools they need to raise healthy, motivated students. Candace Mackey is the college counselor at Los Angeles Center for Enriched Studies. Lace's Magnet is the first public magnet school in the LA Unified School District. Candace is a committed educator, student advocate, and equity warrior with over 13 years of public school counseling experience at middle and high schools across Southern California. She has been instrumental in developing and implementing college counseling access programs and practices, serving diverse student populations, including those who are first-gen and historically underrepresented. We hope you find their discussion helpful and enjoyable. There are many opinions and many myths about fit, college fit, and college rank, and what's really the most important for our families. There are many, many questions. Let's start with a big one. Denise, can you help define two of the key terms that we're grappling with here? Fit and rank. What do they really mean? How should families be thinking about rank and fit in their college process? Great question, Rob. So let's start with rank. Um, I think a lot of us know about the rankings. They know about the U.S. News and World Report. There's some other rankings out there now that are competing with the U.S. News and World Report. But really, if you think about it, rankings tell you how popular a school is. It's sort of like a popularity contest. And I'm going to use the U.S. News and World Report as an example. They make up what it is they want to use in their rankings, and they make up how much each of those things should be weighted. So for instance, there's something called graduation rate. Uh, That sounds like a good thing to rank a school on, graduation rate, but you have to read the fine print in the U.S. News and World Report because it's not graduating in four years. The graduation rate is six years, and they combine that with retention, and that makes up 30% of the U.S. News and World Report ranking. I'll give you another example, 20% of the U.S. News and World Report ranking is based on school reputation. And the problem with school reputation is that there's over 2,000 schools that the U.S. News and World Report ranks. You only see about 500 in the actual magazine, right, or online. And they send out these surveys to presidents of colleges all over, the 2,000 colleges that are in it, and they send out surveys to college counselors at the high school level all over, and they ask them questions and use those to rank basically the popularity of the school. There's no way that one college president can know about all the different programs at all those thousands of schools and be able to rank them, which is why the rankings look surprisingly similar every single year. So um, please don't be swayed by the rankings. They are what we call arbitrarily precise. 
They are used to really manipulate you and they are not necessarily ranking the things that you would think would be important. So that gets me to fit because fit is what you think is important. Fit is the right fit between the kid and the college. And it's a place where you will engage both in college, uh, in the classes, as well as outside in your extracurricular activities, with the social life at the school, with the setting that the school is in. So fit is really about finding that match and it should really not have anything to do with rankings, which if you believe me now, are really just trying to sway you into a popularity contest. Thanks, Denise. Candace, how do you find, can you weigh in on how you find fit and rank uh, way on and, and way in the process with the families that you work with every day? So fit and rank, oh boy, this is such a major topic of discussion that um, I'm having continuously with my students and with my families. Um, I have the privilege to work with um, an amazing diverse group of students. Um, so there, a lot of our, my students are matriculating and exploring a lot of different four-year universities um, across the country. And so this conversation comes up all the time. What I will say is that, you know, when you're thinking about selectivity and rank as being synonymous with success, um, it's just really, really misleading. It is just really, really far from the truth. Um, uh, Dr. Pope really pointed out in a very clear and eloquent, eloquent way that rankings really are a lot about a popularity contest and really um, not personalize the experience or just personalize what would be best for that particular student. Um, students and families tend to prioritize rank over fit. Fit should be the number one thing that is really driving, or I would say serving as the compass with guiding students and families and, and throughout this process and throughout the journey. Um, fit is not just about the student, but in fact, I would say it is really involves sort of the family, the nuclear family. Applying to college, this process, it is truly a family affair. So when you are looking at what is really important and when you're weighing um, rank versus fit, fit really should be the priority and it should really be something that is personal to the student as well as to the family. Um, and so it's, it's a decision again that extends beyond just looking to see what's the best college, but really what is the, the college that's best for you and for your family. Denise, perhaps you can help us. It's simple, right? Just go to the one that fits you or, but how do you do that? I mean, it, whatever magic US News and World Report has used, they rank them according to metrics. Are there metrics? Well, there's been some interesting research along this line, and we cover this in the white paper that we wrote at Challenge Success, which is available for free for anyone who wants to read it. So to go into more detail than I can probably do here. But what we do have metrics on is on what matters in the long run about going to college. And it turns out that it doesn't matter how selective a school is for the majority of applicants out there. What really matters is this idea of fit and particularly engagement. So Gallup Purdue did a study of 30,000 college grads. Uh, 1,500 went to community college, which is a two-year college and got an AA degree. The rest of those 30,000 went and got their four-year degree. And they looked at people who were thriving, who had purpose in life, who were financially secure, who found meaning in what they were doing. They had job satisfaction. And it turns out that what really mattered were certain points of engagement. And I'm gonna go over some of those. Um, if you had a mentor, 
in college, if you had a professor who you who really um, excited you and took an interest in you, that was definitely a metric that led to future life success and thriving. If you got to work on a multi-semester project or you got deep into some kind of research lab or you wrote a lengthy paper with a professor, um, that was a, a, a precursor to thriving. If you participated in an internship in college, even if you were in an extracurricular activity, and it didn't matter which one, if you got into a sports team or the choir or acapella, right, or even a religious group, um, those were all things that many, many, many of these graduates said helped them to later on thrive in life. So that in, in research, it's called correlation. So if you had these things in college where you were really engaged and you had a professor who cared about you and a class that you liked and um, some extracurricular activity that you were into, later on, there was a connection with people who were saying that they were thriving in terms of finances, in terms of purpose, in terms of their community, and in terms of their well-being. So I would use those as a guide to help find the fit. Where am I gonna be able to engage in those things in the college of my choice? And the good news is, there are thousands of colleges out there and many, many, many of them will offer you those personal uh, matches to your engagement. Well, as a parent, I can certainly suggest that the top priority seems to be, I want my child to be successful. I want her or him to be happy and successful. And Candace, does that hit the families that you work with in a different way uh, can you comment on what Denise just was talking about? Oh yes, this is a this is again a conversation that um, I have repeatedly with students and with families, and it comes from both because I I have the opportunity to meet with a lot of my students on an individual basis and really learn about what their goals are, what their aspirations, and the colleges that they're seeking to apply to and would like to attend. But I also have family meetings as well, and within these family meetings, I'm hearing the same thing. I think at the very you know center of all this. Um, both students and families want to be able to have that experience, their child have that experience, go to a college where they are going to come out and they're going to be happy and successful. That is truly, I believe, the goal, um, which, which is a, a reasonable goal that most of us would want for our children. Um, but I, I think that a lot of times it does get convoluted when um, you have where students and families oftentimes sort of set their minds on, you know, anywhere from like the top 20 to 50 most selective top colleges. Um, I, can, I call them the name brand colleges. And they think that if they are not accepted to these colleges, if they're not able to attend these colleges, then in fact, they won't be successful. They won't be happy. And again, that's really, really far from the truth. And um, as what was stated by Denise is that it is absolutely true and that, you know, engagement is so important when you go to college. It's not so much about where you go to college, but what you do while you're in college. The relationships that you're building, uh, the experiences that you're creating, um, the, your reactions to setbacks, because we know that life and things are not going to be perfect all the time. Um, and so, you know, it's really about what you do while you're in college and how you're able to become the better and the best versions of yourself. We're really, we're seeing that that's what really matters and not so much about this particular college or that name college. These are uh, conversations that are, that are endless that I am having. And, and I would say a lot of my colleagues as we are working with our students and really trying to 
steer them in the direction to put themselves first rather than putting the college first. That's an awesome uh, sort of ratification of what uh, Denise was saying. And I think it's really, really important and rings true. Most of the parents we're talking to now are in the process of figuring out where to apply to college. And the elephant in, the, in this room is the stress, all the different kinds of stress that coming from factors that we're talking about, working on the family. Denise, can you help us think about or talk about how do parents talk to students? Well, we see a lot of stress in our work and we see particularly the stress come from college and it can start even far, far earlier than, than uh, the college application process. You've got to get the grades, you've got to get the test scores, you've got to do the uh, test prep, you've got to do the flashcards, right? And it's all about this sort of one time in your life where you're going to write these applications to people who don't know you at all as if it was the, the, the most important thing that could happen to you in your life. And we're talking about four years. We're talking about uh, a place for you to find a good match where you're going to challenge yourself intellectually, where you're going to engage. And the, the research will show for the vast, vast majority of you that where you go to school is not linked to how much money you're going to make or the type of job that you're going to get or how successful you're going to be. And I think that's a really important myth to help get that stress level down. This is not the most important decision of your life. In fact, you can transfer if you're not happy. I mean, people don't go in thinking that, but that's, you know, this is not even a permanent decision. It's not like picking who you're going to marry, right? We actually have people um, verbalize. What is it that you're most worried about? We hear people are very worried about not getting into the school that's going to make them a success. If they don't get into XYZ school, they will be a failure. And Candace and I both have just done a lot of work to try and convince you that that's not true. Another big worry is money and how will we afford to pay for the school and sort of, you know, what is the bang for the buck? That is a real worry. And I think not enough people think about um, the reality of the vast resources of financial aid at many schools. They don't think about, will you be doing a job and working while you're gonna be taking classes? And how does that impact? Does that mean it's gonna take you a little bit longer to graduate in some schools? So there's, there's worries over money, both will I be successful and make a lot of money when I get out, but also how will I pay for it? And then the parents are also worried, what's gonna happen if they don't get in? How will I handle the letdown? The kids will say they're a failure and whatnot. So when you create your list, you don't wanna have just that one dream school. You wanna have what we call lots of likelies. And they're called likelies because you will like them when you get in, right? You will like, you like where you're, you're applying to. You can see yourself there, you can see the fit, but also it's likely that you will get in there. And if you have enough likelies on your list, then the college application experience becomes less stressful because you know you're likely to get into a place that you like and everything else is just gonna be uh, gravy on top of there. So um, that's one way to, to, to handle the stressors. Well, Candace, how does that strike you? Uh, a lot of likelies? Yes, I think it's so incredibly important to have a balanced list um, because again, many students are applying to some of the same universities, the same colleges, and it's the same ones that everyone else is applying to. And it's oftentimes it's those those schools that are listed in those rankings and hit, you know, anywhere from one the top the top one to the top 50th school. Um, but even beyond that, it is incredibly important to, again, examine your list 
and make sure that it is balanced, make sure that you will have options. I always stress the importance of no matter what position you're in, you always wanna have options. And so those options should certainly be options that you're comfortable with and that you would be okay and that you would be still excited to go and attend that college um, and spend the next, you know, what would hope to be four years of being able to develop and grow um, and evolve as a person. Uh, so I can't stress it enough that likelies are, are important because it's very easy to have those reach schools on your list. But we know that oftentimes when it's a reach school, you never know where, you don't know where that's gonna go. You just, it's the, there's no guaranteed that in, when you have the options, when you have those likelies, that is the, the short, that's the safest route to go. And I think also just to be able to know that um, when it comes to having rejections, that rejections shouldn't diminish or deplete or dismiss who you are and where you're going. And it's not just for the students, but also from the aspects of parents, because we, we, we see and we understand parents also internalize this as well. They may internalize it as being a failure, as being a letdown. Um, and so this is something, you know, it's, I think, really important for, for students and families to be aware of. Rejections happen, but it doesn't dismiss or it doesn't prevent you at all from being able to be successful and being able to go and have really an amazing college experience. And Rob, can I add one thing to that? We have um, a statistic at Stanford. So some people know that Stanford has a, you know, 5% admit rate, which means that 95% of the people who apply um, are not going to get into Stanford. And I said to the head of admissions, and he knows that I do these talks for parents and kids, and I said, you know, what percentage would be a perfect match that you would love to have them as part of the Stanford class? And he said, 75% of the kids who apply to Stanford would be a great match. We would love to have them. They have great grades. They have done amazing things. They have great extracurriculars. They write terrific essays. They have great recommendations. We would love to take 75% of the kids who apply, and we can only take five. So where do you think the other 70% go? They go to lots and lots and lots of other schools. So I don't want you to think only the smart people are in these schools and the you know not smart people go to these schools. No, there are thousands of schools out there with lots of really bright people and lots of research to show that the best professors are not only in certain top, top schools, the best students are not only in certain top, top schools. So it really can't be about selectivity that you're looking at. It really has to be about fit. This is an important topic because, of course, where you stand on the rankings, sometimes for parents, especially perhaps, it feels like a really important thing and it's a, it's a cause of stress. What is it that parents and students are not talking about? What is it they need to talk about in order to deal with that kind of stress? Yeah, so, you know, academics is one very small part of your child's whole life. We have a quadrant that we talk about in our workshops where we say, okay, academics is about a fourth of the things that maybe you're worried about, that you're, you're working with them, you wanna make sure that they have good academics, they have note-taking skills, they have study skills, they know how to um, keep track of everything when they go to college. You, you should stop micromanaging if you're doing that, um, get them prepared for college. But that's only one quadrant. In another quadrant, we have social and emotional skills, right? Do they know how to get along with people? Do they know how to, um, uh, focus on self-regulation, take care of themselves, um, 
be good leaders, but also be good uh, teammates, right? Another quadrant is positive coping strategies. How are they going to deal with stress? College is going to be stressful wherever you go, no matter who's going. How are you going to deal with the natural stressors of life? And how have you been doing that in high school? And has that been healthy? Do you need to learn meditation techniques, breathing techniques, um, how to ask for help, how to advocate for yourself? And then in the fourth quadrant, we have life skills, like how to do the laundry or how to cook a meal that isn't cereal, right? Things that you're going to need to know when you go to college. And I think a lot of parents are worried about and fretting and hiring tutors for that one quadrant on academics. And they're not worrying about the things they really should be worrying about, which is, is your child college ready? Not just academically ready, but can they take care of themselves and make good decisions and handle the stress and end up being really good citizens and, and future workers? I, 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 I hope parents put a lot more effort and time into you know hiring a tutor for taking out the trash and being a good person than hiring a tutor for, to get that math grade up. Well, that's, uh, that's an awesome challenge in a way. Of course, um, one of the problems is we know how to demonstrate academic prowess. It's called a GPA or a score. We don't necessarily know how to show off social emotional skills, even coping skills or even life skills. Do you have any guidance for us on terms of how to not just cultivate them, but demonstrate them? Here's what I would say. You know, the colleges are really working on how can we assess this in our candidates. There are many more that are looking at character traits. They're using uh, teacher recommendation letters and essays to get at what are the qualities of this person who's applying to our college and do they have an ethical character? Are they someone who would be a good roommate? Are they someone who can uh, really contribute to the class as a whole and that's beyond academics? So the colleges have been doing this for years, right? It's called holistic review. And they're looking at much more than your GPA or your SAT score. I'm not sure that everybody realizes that. They do look very closely at letters of teachers' recommendations uh, and your own essays. Um, there's not a measure for how good a person you are or how great your coping skills are, but if you can write about those and more importantly, if you can live those and have them come out authentically in those letters of recommendation, that, that's really the way to show, show who you are. I mean, it, you shouldn't be doing these things to get into college. You should be doing these things because you're excited about learning and you are a good person and you have integrity and you're living your life in high school in the most authentic way possible. That's who the colleges want. They're looking for the authentic you that's the right match for them. Candace, do you have any advice for us on how to be more authentic or at least to create your profile, which is a more authentic picture, a more holistic picture of who you are? Uh, yes, I would say, um, especially now that we're sort of living in these COVID times, data is actually less right now. And uh, what I mean by data, I mean when you're looking at the, the, the statistical information academic-wise in terms of GPA, well, not so much GPA, but at least test scores, right now that is not a factor for many, many colleges, at least over 70% of all universities and colleges, they are test optional right now. So they're not looking at test scores. Um, but what is incredibly important, and I would say it's even more important right now, and I believe it's going to continue to hold um, a lot of weight in the admissions process is listening and hearing your story and who you are. Um, right now, that is so important 
and to be authentic and to be genuine um, and, and to be you. That's all you can be. That's really all you can be. And I think, you know, just even going back to uh, the whole idea of there's so much pressure and there's so much lead up into I have to um, apply to college, applying to college. I have to get into college. I have to get into that college. Um, and not enough energy is really expended in the area of transitioning into college because that's a whole nother step. That's a whole nother process. And what we have seen or what we can see is that we know that there are students who do transfer um, uh, at times pretty frequently. We understand that may not necessarily be the goal, but students do transfer. Um, I call it a five-year warranty at my school. I see my kids, I'm with my students for four years, and then, you know, they go and they do their first year of college, and we are, I'm working with them even while they're in college and sort of helping them to navigate that process because at times that transition can be a little bit challenging and difficult, and it's quite normal. And I have seen this from students who are at highly selective universities to those who are not. Um, so I think, you know, really being mindful of not just preparing for applying to college and getting into that particular college or colleges, but also being able to think about the life that happens after, after your student graduates, after you graduate and go on and transition into college. You are an ever evolving person. And this is not the end all to be all during this period of time. So, Denise, I'm in particularly uh, interested in your reaction to the idea that transition is a whole different uh, sort of era or part of the college admissions process, either transition from high school into college or even transition between colleges or different phases in college where some of our skills get tested. Absolutely, I 100% agree with Candace. And in fact, I wanna point out that for a good amount of people, the right college fit for you right now might be a community college where you don't have to apply, where you go, you get your feet wet, you get a sense of what college is like. And the little secret about community colleges that not a lot of people know is that in many, many states, you, there's an agreement between the community colleges and the, like at the University of California, where they will look at you first in terms of transfer. So um, it, it might be the best place for you to start. Now for some students, particularly students of color or students who are first generation, it may not be great because what we found is that transition may be hard when you're working lots of jobs, you're still living at home, you're still depending, um, the family's still depending on you to get certain things done for them. It might mean going to a school that can give you more of a scholarship, uh, more financial aid, uh, and allow you to have opportunities where you wouldn't have to be doing all of that. So, but for the vast majority of kids, yes, this idea of transitioning, you, you know, parents need to think about the whole child going to college. You're not just sending the brain, right? You're sending the whole child and are they ready? And what are some of the supports they need? And I love that Candace calls it a five-year warranty. Um, so students know that they can go back to the college counselor and say, I don't think this is working. I might not have made the best choice. Can you help me now that I know I'm really interested in this topic and they don't even have that major at my college, right? So you don't have to have it all figured out um, all at once. Love that. I love the five-year warranty. Um, that's a really, it, that's what happens with the not only success, but once a student has made a positive decision to go to college. I wanna go back to something that was addressed earlier, but not, I think we need to dive a little bit more into it. And that is, 
what happens when inevitably you don't get into every college that you apply to? What happens when you have failed? How does a parent really work with a student? How does a student work with their parents to know that that's not failure? Yeah, it's not failure, Rob. I mean, you just think about what I just said. 5% of the people who apply to Stanford get in. The vast, vast majority are not going to get in to these highly, highly selective schools. That is not failure. That is just the numbers game. And it has nothing to do with you as a person. It has nothing, nothing to do with how qualified you would have been to be a part of that freshman class. So everyone says you can't take it personally. You really can't take it personally. It has almost nothing to do with you and everything to do with the fact that they wish they could have taken you, but they just don't have enough beds in their freshman dorms. So knowing that, I think this is why you have that great list that has the likelies because you're going to get in. Every single person who wants to go to college right now, there's a college for you here in the United States and, and even not in the United States. So this idea of I'm so nervous I'm not gonna get in, that should not be a worry. You're gonna get in. You're gonna get in because you're gonna have the help of a counselor and you're gonna have a great list and it is not a failure when you get rejected. In fact, what I like to have students say is, I feel sorry for that school because they're not getting me next year. Are there other things? Uh that you that that you end up saying, uh, Candace, to parents or families, or are the things that you wish parents would say to their students? Yes, absolutely. I I always try to encourage students and parents to um, as much as possible to try to separate the emotion from the facts. And I know that's that's not easy to do. I understand that. But I really try to uh, remind families about that because it really is a numbers game. And when you are looking at acceptance rates, um, I usually don't mention the acceptance rate. I mention the rate of those who are not accepted. Um, because then I think it's sometimes, you know, it makes it a little bit more digestible and it makes it more reality based. Um, and so if, if it's a matter of understanding that college is a business, okay, and that um, there are at times, there are, I should say a lot of times, factors that are completely out of your control as to why you may not be admitted to a particular college or university, even though you are highly qualified. Um, but there's just things that are completely out of your control. And as Denise mentioned, I say the same thing as well. Well, you know what? That's too bad for that college. Their loss. You are an asset. Their loss. Wasn't, didn't happen. It wasn't supposed to be, but that's their loss. And sometimes maybe it's just at that particular time. Because yes, there are, there is something called transferring that could occur as well, or taking a different pathway, perhaps if you want to start at a community college and transfer, transfer um, going that route, you know? So it could be at times where maybe it's just the timing, maybe it's just factors out of your control, or perhaps it's just not the place that was supposed to be for you. Because if, there, if you don't get accepted, sometimes it really lets you know, well, you know, if I wasn't accepted, do, would I really wanna be here anyways? You know, and so again, really looking at this as, I'm finding, I'm looking at a place that's going to fit my needs. I'm looking at a place that's going to be best for me, not trying to get into the best place. That's not a healthy approach to this process as students are 
looking at applying to colleges, looking at exploring colleges, um, and as much as possible, try not to personalize this experience um, and allow it to just really, um, as I mentioned before, shrink you or just diminish who you are and where you're going. You very helpfully talked about other quadrants besides academics in terms of what makes you appealing, what makes you potentially successful. How do you distinguish yourself? How can you make those strengths more apparent in an application process? I think a lot of it comes from really trying to write an authentic essay. I mean, the only real control you have over this application, your, your, your teachers are gonna write their letters, you've done your grades at this point, you can keep your grades up senior year, that would be good. Um, but really at this point, the only um, sort of control you have is in those essays. And I would say it has to be your voice, they absolutely know when mom or dad has written the essay. Um, it has to be the most authentic you, and you wanna showcase what, what distinguishes you, what makes you different. And I hear from a lot of 17-year-olds, nothing makes me different. I've, I've, I'm the same as my best friend. We play the same sport, we do the same extracurriculars, we have the same GPA. Now, something makes you unique, and what I would like to think that the college admissions process is allowing is some really nice self-reflection on who am I and what kind of person do I wanna be and what are the traits that I'm most proud of that I've been sort of working on and cultivating for these 17 years and where do I see those taking me? So I think you distinguish yourself through those essays. I'm gonna just make this a very authentic piece of writing that describes me to the best of my ability. Candace, I understand that at LACES, you actually have a, a sort of a special technique that you have employed to help students talk to each other and help their families reduce stress as they think about going to college. Can you describe that for us? Yes, so I absolutely love, love, love um, really having my students, my seniors who have gone through the process to be able to serve as sort of like a mentor or just offer tidbits of words of wisdom um, and information to the rising um, senior class and letting them know some things that if they would have known during that time, it would have been really helpful, especially having gone through the process. Some of the things that they've mentioned and they've mentioned to other rising seniors as well as to the parents of rising seniors is that um, one thing they felt that was really, really helpful is to create very intentional boundaries during this time. And what I mean by that, or what they meant by that was um, setting boundaries where you are only having conversations about college talks um, on certain days. So perhaps maybe like on Sundays, there's no talk about college whatsoever at all. Um, that just sort of keeps things between the student and the family to where you're not continuously like button heads, getting feeling irritated, feeling overwhelmed. It's already uh, quite a stressful process for both students and for parents. Um, and so just being able to set some boundaries to where you don't feel like your entire life at that point in time is just consumed about the college talk. Um, also, I've had students mention the importance of blocking the noise that comes in because guess what, guys? You are going to hear, if you're not already hearing 
um, so much from your own uh, peer groups, your friends, your family members, your parents' friends, and this goes for you two parents, um, that people have so much to say. They have so many different opinions. You're hearing stuff, um, whether it's from the rankings or from your friends, they're asking you, where are you applying to? I'm thinking of applying here, you know, to really sort of kind of guard your thoughts and your ideas and to be very much intentional on what you're doing and to put yourself first. What may be the path for one person may not be your path and that is completely okay. And so um, students have mentioned that that has been really helpful for them to really um, intentionally, again, focus on their staying in their own lane and to not try to take in so much that's coming in from all these other people and places and things that they're reading even on the internet that at times sort of gets in the way, clouds your mind and starts adding additional pressure, additional stress. Um, and I, I would say that that is probably truthful for both students and for both parents. And so these are some tips that they've mentioned that really, really have been helpful for them and things that they sort of picked up along the way. There's a lot going on. You have your, your schoolwork that you're managing. You, are, um, you have a lot of deadlines that you have to meet. You have your essays that you're working on, your applications. Um, there may be times where you and your parents are not agreeing on um, what the certain expectations you may have for college versus what they have for college. So there's a lot and there's a big emotional piece to this as well in terms of for parents, they're having to sort of, you know, start really being able to process now the idea that you are going to be leaving and going away. Um, and that's not, that's not really easy for, um, for many parents. Um, and at the same time, even for students having to process and think about what their life is going to be after high school. So blocking the noise is critical. So these are things that, again, I love to just have my students to be able to um, sort of fellowship and give testimonies, true life testimonies um, from firsthand real-time experience that seems to be really, really helpful um, as they pass on these nuggets to rising seniors. Is there anything in particular that you feel like students can tell students? Um, I think students can just tell students it's going to be okay. You're going to, and, and it sounds so simple and basic, but really it is. It's going to be okay. You are going to go and be at the place where you are supposed to be. And that's it. There's nothing more to this. It will be okay and you will be at the place that is the right place for you. And to trust that, trust that, trust your, trust your, your instincts, um, trust and listen to your values, listen to your values. And I think, again, it goes back to, and this is from students, blocking the noise, blocking the noise and not letting other people's thoughts, other people's opinions, rankings, not letting all that information begin to sort of question what's really, really important for you. We've been talking about not, don't pay as much attention to the rank as to the fit. And of course, the fit has a lot of different things. There's one question about whether, for instance, job success or job placement is part of the ranking. And should we take that seriously? Is that, is that how, how do we think about that? And in fact, 
the the other another one which I want to put in the same category for you each to comment on is the idea that Denise pointed out engagement and the idea that if in fact you can really connect with a professor, how do you know you can connect with a professor? Where are they have professors that can connect? Are are these people going to be able to be mentors and and connectors for for my students? Well, let me take the first one about job placement because it, it kind of makes me chuckle because the rankings have no idea. They have no idea. They look at input, which is what are the SAT scores of the kids coming in? What is the average GPA? How long does it take to graduate? But that's about it. That's where they stop. And they have no, they don't follow you out to see how successful you are. They don't follow you to see what your, your, you know, your first paycheck is or your first job. And so they, that's not included in the rankings at all. So I would not um, I would not take that uh, into account, at least in the U.S. News and World Report. Now, there are some rankings that say that they look at things like return on investment. So you have to read the small print and see what it is that they're looking at. But most of the time, it's way too complicated to do to collect that kind of data. So they just don't do it Um, in terms of finding a mentor. You know, I'm a professor. This is what professors do. We, we, we go into the field, yes, to do our research and to pursue our, our, our own interests, but a very big part of what we do is we teach students. And um, I think it's a fair question to ask in an information session and say, you know, how, how available are your professors to students outside of class? Um, how many of your professors are available to mentor? Um, I think you're going to find that uh, at almost every college, you might have an easier time finding a mentor at a smaller college or a college that's uh, where most of the professors are teaching and you're not being taught by a graduate student necessarily. But um, the goodness about mentors is you can find them in a lot of places. Candace, do you agree? Yes, I love mentors and you're never too young or too old to have a mentor. Got it. So the other question is, how do we, if we're not paying attention to ranking, then how do we make a list, right? Where, where, where do you start? When do you start? And how do you start with that whole process in terms of making a list of the reaches and the likelies and so forth? Candace, maybe we can start with you. Um, I'm sure that's something you have to do. <laughs> well, I, I do believe that um, it's never too early to have that talk and sort of have those conversations um, um, but I, I think that when you're looking at, or students looking at college, you know, I think it, I think it's a, it's a journey and it's a process. So while you're having conversations, if you're having it as early as middle school or having it as early when, you know, when you're in high school, but like at ninth grade, 10th grade, I'm saying before 11th grade. Um, but at any point when you're, when you're looking at colleges, um, I, because grades do matter, and they are important in terms of the evaluation process. Yes, that's something to look at um, or use as part of a measurement, but also of course, um, and and with that, as we mentioned in the talk, ensuring that you're definitely having some likelies on your list. Uh, But I think it's also just a matter of being over to, or being able to explore, gather information, um, sort of, you know, think about what is it that you would like and not just planning for right now, but looking at if you can envision five years from now, what life may like, what's the end goal here, you know? And so um, I think it's an, an ever evolving, I don't have a particular like time frame for me personally, when I talk about college, I think, I think it's important to have these conversations um, all throughout 
you know, puberty. I'll leave it at that. It's not earlier in some cases. Great. Uh, Denise, does challenge success have a, uh, a theory about when to start? Um, it's going to really depend on the kid. I think if you don't come from a college-going culture, let's say you're first in your family um, or a, a lot of people around you don't go to college, um, I, I agree with Candace that that conversation maybe should happen earlier because there's certain courses that you may need, right? The University of California needs you to take a certain amount of courses in each subject area, and you don't want to get to your senior year and not have that if that's where you want to go. Like I said in the talk, though, you you can go to a community college and 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 get those credits and stuff. So so nothing is permanent. You're not permanently closing any doors if you don't have that college talk. If you're if you're just listening in and saying, oh my gosh, we haven't started that early. I also want to say that you don't want to be having that talk 24/7, right? There, like Candace said, you should really bound it. And and um and and if someone is really shutting down, if you have a kid who's just like, oh my gosh, they're talking to me about college again. I don't like count me out that's a sign that they're not ready to have that conversation and what you can just say is look i'm just making sure that when by the time you get to your senior year um, and you want to have some options besides community college i'm here to help you if you're not ready to have that conversation yet that's fine and we will love you no matter what and we love you if you want to go to community college right but when you're ready to have a conversation about college come to me and then you might check in again a few months from now um, I know in my own family, uh, my I have a niece and a nephew who are both applying to college. And uh, the my brother called me up and said, I, I keep asking him, but he hasn't started his essays. I keep asking him. And I said to him, don't worry. If he wants to go to college, he's going to get those essays done. And it might be a last minute thing. And he can live with those consequences. What you might want to say is, hey, I, I get that you haven't started yet. I'm not going to keep bugging you. But I'm going to uh, just kind of send you a text every Sunday as a reminder how does that feel? Is that okay? And if you want me to bug you more or bug you less, let me know, but this is on you. If they are not able to take on this, this sort of journey on their own, they're probably not ready to actually go to college and live on their own and be responsible for their own learning. So I would keep that in mind. Denise, great point. And it feels to me like, in a way, what we're talking about is some of the coping skills that you've been talking about, some of the life skills. And in fact, um, Candace, you talked very already quite a bit about setting boundaries and shutting off the noise a little bit. Can you talk about a little bit more about that, specifically around peers? We've talked about the parent-student uh, relationship. That's probably the highest volume. <laughs> but in fact, it may be almost as important, or in some cases, maybe more important, what peers are saying and what peer expectations there are. Yes, it seems like um, definitely, uh, I, I can, in which I certainly understand that during this time, as you're especially applying, to, those of you who are applying to college right now, or those of you who will be applying to college at some point, um, it, it turns into a collective process. Um, but it also can be a very sort of high pressure competitive process as well. And so um, I think it's just really important that uh, be cautious of really sharing out some of your, your plans and where you're applying to um, and sort of exchanging all of that information. I, there are times where it can be very much where you're like, this is a really good friend of mine. We trust each other. We share a lot of really close um, personal information for one another, we support each other, and that could be fine. But there are also an, a lot of cases where it becomes kind of this sort of competitive, um, high tense, high stress, high stress um, uh, 
process. And so it seems that what I've noticed and what I've seen and what I've heard is that um, students who are a little bit more conservative in that area without just having so much of those conversations and, and, and constantly trying to gather information from other students and constantly sharing your own plans. It seems like if you have a little bit more contained and intentional on in who you share and what you share, it tends to make the process a little bit more or just less stressful. Um, it's almost like social media. If you're comparing yourself a lot frequently to other people, other things, after some point, it can really start affecting you and impacting you and not some of the best ways. Right. Um, Denise, you talked a lot about uh, some of the ways to, to differentiate yourself. One thing that uh, has been often mentioned is something might be called a passion project. It demonstrates that I have a passion, that I'm deeply committed to something. Is that something that, uh, do, do colleges really put weight on that? Um, I think the majority of teenagers out there don't have a passion project and they all get into colleges. So I would say if you don't have a passion project, do not worry one iota, but they are interested to find out what you're interested in. You know, are you more interested in science or English? Because we've got to make sure that we fill enough people in our engineering classes and in our art history classes, right? So. Um, it's really more what you're interested in. And if you don't know or you have a lot of interest, you can say that too, right? So I would if you if you happen to have something that you're really into, like you 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 know, you build model airplanes and this is something that you're passionate about, and you do it all the time, sure, use that. That's part of who you are. But don't feel like you have to make up a passion project just to get into college. A big thank you to Rob, Denise, and Candace for that discussion. As a reminder, here are some takeaways from this podcast. First, focus on fit more than rankings. Rankings are based on what someone else says is important about a college. Fit is about what you find important and prioritize. Next, be sure to keep your goals realistic and achievable. And if you end up missing out on your reach schools and getting into your likelies, make sure you like your likelies and would be happy attending there. And finally, block out the noise structure time when you'll talk to family about admissions and time when it's off limits. And don't get too caught up in what your peers are saying. Remember that their priorities are not your priorities. Admission stress will peak at certain times, leading up to admissions deadlines and when decisions are coming in, but it's really a year-round issue and you should treat it like one. Come up with family strategies that you can employ when the stress is getting to you plan ahead, and keep an open line of communication. That's it for College Guidance Now. If you liked this podcast, please share it with a friend, rate it, review it. And be sure to look for more expert advice on collegeguidancenetwork.com. We have live events, an extensive video library, and downloadable toolkits, including one on this important topic of managing stress. We hope you find it helpful. Thanks for listening.